Hello, and welcome to the Claremont Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. So we're happy to have our brother Don Pell will turn the remainder of our meeting over to him at this time. I sang that song growing up, but it's been a long time. This morning, I purposely asked our brother to read from Hebrews chapter 10 with a view towards Psalm number 40. And that's where I want you to turn this morning to Psalm number 40. We're told that it's a Psalm of David. And I'm going to read it as you look on. Psalm, Psalm, the book of the Psalms, number 40. Starting at verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me. I'm reading the New King James translation. He heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps, and he has put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud nor such as turn Aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips. O Lord, you yourself know I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth. From the great assembly. Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continue to preserve me. For innumerable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life. Let them be driven backward and brought to dishonor who wish me evil. Let them be confounded because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha, let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified, for I am poor and needy. That the Lord thinks upon me, you are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. There's an expression, and you've probably heard it before, and I think you've experienced it, and that is simply this. What's in the old concealed is in the new revealed. Now, uh, sometimes we find that when we have a revelation in the New Testament, it helps us understand the things that were hidden in the old. And by comparing Hebrews 10 to Psalm number 40, we begin to realize 
that the psalmist is speaking primarily of Christ. And the writer of Hebrews pretty makes that clear because Frankie read this verse, by the which we have been sanctified through the offering of the body, and there he is, Jesus Christ, once for all. So in the Messianic Psalms, and this happens to be a Messianic Psalm, a song about the coming Messiah, we find a number of things predicted, and we find hints of these things in Psalm number 40. We find his coming to planet Earth. His earthly ministry is suggested here. His suffering and death, his resurrection. Now, when we first read it, we try to put ourselves there, and sometimes we try to put David there, and we want to say to ourselves, well, you know, really, is this not really talking about David? And yet we have to realize that neither David nor any son born of Adam's helpless race could make this statement. Behold, I come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me, not Abraham, not Moses, not Aaron, not David. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. There's only one about whom that could be said. And that's proof to us of the inspiration of Scripture. Since David, I don't believe through his natural mind, could have conceived of such a statement as the one that I just read. David, like everyone else in Israel, yes, he was looking for a Messiah, but he was looking for a Messiah who was going to come physically and deliver Israel. I'm sure it, didn't conce- it was not conceivable to him that death, burial, and resurrection would be part and parcel of a deliverer. His frame of reference was the Old Testament animal sacrifices that he trusted in. Have you ever wondered if you had been living on planet Earth at the time Jesus came and walked this earth, would you have been among those who received him? Ever think about that? Or would you have been among those who rejected him? Or would you have been among those who scorned him? The ones who tried to trap him in his words, the ones who ignored him, the ones who discounted him. We don't know the answer to that, do we? But you like to think, don't you not, that maybe I would have been... What about David? If David had, could have been living at that time, would he have accepted, would he have received the, the Christ? Well, he was a man after God's own heart, so I'm going to suggest to you that perhaps he probably would have received the Messiah as he was revealed. Now, I'm going to do some comparison of the words, and Frankie read in a little different translation, but... Using the New King James, and which is very close, as you know, to the King James, I'm going to compare a couple different things. And remember now, Hebrews 10 gives us a little bit more enlightening, a little more information about what we're reading in Psalm 40. So first of all, Psalm 40. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, my ears you have opened. Now we go to Hebrews 10. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body 
you have prepared for me. Now let's consider those two things. First of all, the ears opened. That could be a reference to the slave that's described in Exodus chapter number 21. I'm just going to read this because it's easier to read it than to explain it. But if the servant plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out free. Now, this is a servant. And of his own free will, then his master shall bring him to the judges. He shall bring him to the door or to the doorpost. And his master shall pierce his ear with an awl. And he shall serve him forever. My ears thou hast opened. Now, remember, this servant bore marks in his body of his servitude. And there is another servant who bore marks in his body, did he not? The wounded side. The pierced hands and the pierced feet. There's another idea, the ears being opened, and that is God the Son was readily listening to God the Father. He was ears were open. He was a ready listener to what it is the Father desired for him to do. Now we talk about a body prepared. And a body prepared, I think, would remind us of Christ's incarnation. Remember what the angel said to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, the power of the highest will overshadow you, therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So ears open, a body prepared. Now we go back again for another comparison to Psalm 40. Burn offering and sin offering you did not require. We go to Hebrews Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Now, here's the idea. God would no longer require them. Why? Why would he not require them? Well, they're temporary. They couldn't remove the consciousness of sin. And the writer of Hebrews deals with that idea of the consciousness of sin. Hebrews 9, how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God do what? Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. They could not do that. That's why God did not require it. Hebrews 10, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now, God not only required, but God no longer desired those sacrifices, nor had pleasure in them. Why? Because those sacrifices had become ritualistic and not spiritual. Remember when the Lord was on planet Earth, he was appalled at what he saw going on. They were going through the motions of offering these sacrifices and taking advantage of their power and their position. Remember what he said to the scribes and Pharisees? Hypocrites, he called them, for you pay tithe of mint and earnest and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law. And what are those? Justice and mercy and faith. So now, Christ, by his sacrifice, fulfilled the law. 
And in so doing, he brought about those very things. He brought about justice, mercy, and faith, and they are obtained through our faith in his finished work on the cross of Calvary. Remember what he said, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. That's why he came. I did not come to destroy, but rather to fulfill. Just give you a little, a little illustration that I may have used in the past between destroying something and fulfilling something. Most of us, at one time, if we already still don't, have a mortgage. We may have had one before. We probably likely have one now, perhaps. A mortgage is where you promise to do something, and it's a valid agreement. The bank loans you a certain amount of money, and you decide, you agree that you're going to make monthly payments in order to satisfy that mortgage. And over a period of time, be it 15, 20, or 30 years, it's going to be satisfied. Suppose one day you say, or you just can't do it anymore, you can't make the payments, you say, you know what, I've had it. I can't make the payments. So you take that mortgage and you just tear it up. You know, just tear it up. Okay, there you have it, right? It's gone. Well, you tried to destroy it, but it's been a contradiction to your faith and your goodwill. You promised to do this. Now, on the other hand, supposing someone who's a wealthy person comes along and says, listen, I know you're having a problem with your mortgage. What do you owe? And you give him the amount. He writes you a check. You send that check to the bank. The check accepts that amount, paid in full. Now, what about the mortgage? Is it satisfied? Yes, it's satisfied. It's not violated. It's satisfied. It's fulfilled. That's what God did. That's what Christ did, rather. He satisfied God's requirements on the cross of Calvary. In that way, he could absolutely fulfill the law. He didn't destroy it. It was holy. It was perfect. It was just. It was a good law. Why would he want to destroy something that you couldn't steal, you couldn't lie, you couldn't wear what's witness? Certainly not. And so he fulfilled it. He met his righteous demands. You know, there are two contrasting principles in Scripture. And they should never be mixed. They're two separate works. And they both have a work. They both have a purpose. Those two contrasting principles are law and grace. Law has its work. Grace has its work. They're not to be mixed. Here are some contrasting thoughts about it. Law is God prohibiting and requiring. Grace is God freely showing unmerited favor. Law is condemns and bestows a curse. Grace forgives and redeems man from that curse. The law shuts every mouth before God. What does grace do? It opens every mouth to praise God. The law says do and live. Grace says believe and live. The law never had a missionary. You think about that? Never had a missionary. The, the Hebrews were never told to go to the Philistines and try to convert them. They never did that. And yet, grace is to be preached to every creature. Now, let's see Christ here in Psalm 40. Christ and resurrection. It's interesting it's mentioned first. He writes, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Here Christ patiently waited for God the Father to accomplish a work of propitiation. When from the cross he cried what? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the work of propitiation began. 
Then having borne our sins in his own body on the tree, he is about to satisfy God's divine justice. God will now be propitiated. Then God, and then having done this, having satisfied God's divine justice, God brings him up out of the horrible pit, out of the miry clay, out of the very depths of death. And then God establishes his son as the rock on which the church will be built. He set my feet upon a rock and established my steps are my goings. And we look through scripture and we realize that the rock always speaks of Christ. Now remember a new covenant, the covenant of grace is going to be introduced. The church is going to be founded. It needed to have some kind of foundation. The law was the foundation of that dispensation. Grace now needed a foundation on which it could rest and be built. He set my feet upon a rock and established my God. Remember what the Lord said to Peter on this what? Rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It's often referred to in Scripture as the day the Lord has made. We find that reference in Psalm 118. Let me just read it. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Now that sentiment then is expressed in the book of Romans. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. And Peter echoes it again in his epistle. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, and who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Now, when we think of this is the day the Lord has made, there's a little course, and, and you know, I don't take issue with it, but it's referring to God and creation. The sun comes up, as it always does. The birds are chirping and singing, and we rejoice because this is the day the Lord has made. That's not the day that we should, in which we should rejoice. The day in which the Scripture is telling that we should rejoice is the day in which God designated His Son as the chief cornerstone of the church. He is the foundation, and we should rejoice in that day when God designated His Son the rock. I don't, I don't mind singing that chorus, by the way. It is true. He is the creator, isn't he? And we can say, yes, hey, the Lord made this day. He's the creator. This is the day. But I don't think that's what the scripture was really talking about. Now we got a song here. The song now is proclaimed through the entire world. And the church is doing that, are they not? Through their risen head, bringing glory to God the Father. There's a song that goes like this. It's the song of the soul set free, the song of the soul set free. It's a song of redemption. It's a song of reconciliation. It's a song of forgiveness. It's a song of the new birth in Christ. And many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. You see, blessings flow from the smitten rock. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. And then the psalmist reflects on God's wonderful works. He says, 
Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works which you have done. And these works were known intimately by God the Son, because he was there in eternity past. In the book of Acts, we read, known to God from eternity are his works. And then the psalmist reflects on God's thoughts. He writes, your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. And there are two ideas here. First of all, God's thoughts concerning his son, his beloved son. There's a song in our hymn book, and I don't know if you ever thought about it this way, but I think it's entitled, Gather to Thy Name, Lord Jesus. But here's this verse that I really enjoy. Loved with love that knows no measure, save the Father's love to thee. Blessed Lord, our hearts would treasure all the Father's thoughts of thee. Wow, think about that for a minute. All the thoughts that God had concerning his son cannot be numbered. Then there are the adopted sons. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. You know, God knows us better than we know ourselves. We're told that the very hairs of your head are all numbered. You're more valuable than sparrows. Now, as I get older, I've given God less to be concerned about and counting the hairs on my head. But the fact that he still is able to do it is absolutely a mind-boggling idea. He knows this. His, his thoughts about us, about his son, they cannot be numbered. Now, Christ in death, and that's what we've seen in Hebrews 10, his sufferings. Notice the things that are revealed to us here in Psalm 40 about the sufferings of Christ. Years and years before it ever took place. First of all, it was planned in eternity past. It was a plan that was drawn up in eternity past. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me. He was gladly willing to come. Behold, I come. I delight to do your will, O my God. Then he openly proclaimed God's plan of salvation. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not return. Strain my lips, O Lord, you yourself know. And then he revealed to us God the Father. Notice what the psalmist says here. I have not hidden your righteousness within my heart. I have declared your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. Then he relied on God's mercies, his loving kindness and his truth, to deal with the innumerable evils. And then he says, my iniquities. And then we say, oh, wait a minute, my iniquities. Christ didn't have iniquities, did he? Well, yes. Our iniquities, those are the iniquities that he had. Remember what Isaiah said? He was bruised for, yeah, he was wounded for our iniquity. He was bruised for our iniquities. The Lord laid on him the what? The iniquity of us all. So our iniquities became his iniquities. And then notice what else we find. He invites all those who have received God's salvation to rejoice and give glory to God. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. So hear back. In Psalm 40, we find all these 
revelations of Christ in resurrection, Christ in death. The writer of the Philippians says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And in our coming day, we meditated on it this morning, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Christ. Jesus is Lord, rather, to the glory of God the Father. Now you say, okay, you know, I read this psalm, and yes, I could see some real problems with David talking about himself. And I see some real problems of putting myself in this psalm, because I certainly isn't the one who came in eternity past and fulfilled the will of the Father. What's there for me? Well, let's look at it. You know, when you read it, does it not strike you that it's something you can relate to? Psalm 40. Can you relate to Psalm 40 in a personal way? Notice, first of all, the sinner remembers a time when he or she cried out to God. As he patiently did his work in conviction, I waited patiently for the Lord. You know, conviction sometimes takes a while, doesn't it? There's a certain amount of patience involved with the Holy Spirit of God who is going to come to planet Earth and does to this day convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Yes, he convicts us of sin. We see we're a sinner. But then we don't realize the righteousness part, that Christ is the answer. He is our righteousness. And then we don't fear the judgment part. And so sometimes it takes a while, some patient waiting for the convicting work of the Holy Spirit to wait our cry. God then acknowledges us, and he heard our plea. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Can you relate to that? In the book of Acts, we read, there a time will come when whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Then he released us from the bondage of sin. Notice it says, he also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. The horrible pit can also be translated noisy, noisy pit. And think about this. The world is filled with noise. The noise of the world. There's the philosophies, the ideas, the ideologies, the contradictions, the outright lies, the noise of the world. And then there's the miry clay stuck in the muck, in the mire of sin. And this is not a bootstrap solution. You know, the old bootstrap idea is you pull yourself by your bootstraps, right? And you release yourself. But that doesn't work with salvation. That doesn't work with sin. You pull one time and the muck grabs you. You pull another time and the miry clay gets a hold of you. You pull again and the muck gets tighter. You pull again and the miry clay gets tighter. And you're stuck in the muck and the mire of the miry clay. Ah, but God releases us. But then he provides us with an unshakable, solid rock of hope. He set my feet upon a rock. And in Scripture, we know that that rock speaks of Christ himself, the spiritual rock that followed them. There's no other foundation can be anyone laid that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I didn't... 
know that Billy was going to pick this song out, but on Christ the solid rock I stand. No, all other ground is sinking sand. And then, notice, we can relate again to Psalm 40. He gives us a new direction in life. He established my steps. He established my goings. We have new priorities, a new vision for the future, new goals, new attitudes. The psalmist writes, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in his way. And he goes on to write, the law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. Ah, then there's a new song. Don't you love the new song that the believer can sing? The song of praise. Praise to our God. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. Uh, there's a song of praise first, and then we find in this psalm a song of testimony. Notice the song of testimony. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. And remember what the Lord said when he was on planet earth. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and what? Glorify your God who is, your Father rather, in heaven. And Peter echoes that same sentiment when he writes in his epistle, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be always ready to give a defense to anyone who seeks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And then we notice something else that we can relate to. God sustains us with his tender mercies, his loving kindness, and his truth. Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. Can you pray that? But I am poor and needy. Can you relate to that? Yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. Do not delay, O my God. O Lord, come quickly. So I think we can see by comparing this Old Testament Scripture with the New Testament Scriptures that not all Scripture is necessarily to us or about us, but it's what? It's all for us. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and every bit of it is profitable for the doctrine, the reproof, the correction, the instruction in righteousness. And then I love this verse in Romans where Paul writes to them and says, For whatever things were written in Psalm 40, were written before, were written for our learning. We learn some things. And as a result of that process, that we, through the patience, and sometimes it takes some patience to dig these things out, does it not? And comfort of the scriptures might have hope. And I hope this morning, as we've considered these scriptures, that it has brought to you a measure of comfort and a measure of hope. Let's pray. Father, indeed, we're thankful for the fact that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. We look at the noise of the world, and we're thankful that you brought us up out of this horrible 
pit, out of the miry clay, out of the muck and mire of sin. And you set our feet upon a rock, you established our going, you gave us a new song, you gave us a new hope, you gave us a new joy. What a marvelous God you are. We just pray these thoughts might have been a blessing this morning. For it's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.